0: The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. Showtime! Welcome to the show everybody. Welcome to Night Fright. I'm your host Brent Holland. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. We're revisiting JFK tonight. The assassination with none better than Alan Dale all the way from DC. As fans of the show will know Alan is um, virtually an expert in my opinion. He'll disagree with me on that one, on the Kennedy assassination, and all things, all the machinations that went on behind the scenes. And uh, we're going to get into that in just a few seconds. I just want to welcome everybody to the show. Uh, Settle in, put your feet up, get relaxed. Night Fright folks, we fly by the seat of our pants, and this is going to be one of those nights. Get ready for a great show. Now, in the past month or so, you've been working on A somewhat secret project, somewhat under-the-radar project. Would you like to tell the folks a little bit about that?
1: The um, significant news that a person that I think is one of a small number of ultimate and leading uh, authorities on the infrastructure of the CIA uh, during the peak of the Cold War, a man named Dr. John Newman, uh, author of... Works of consequence in terms of um, contemporary American history. Um, books which have challenged the orthodoxy of uh, the era and introduced new facts um, in areas which are of consequence for students of American history and uh, maybe in particular for students of uh, the assassinations Um, first was uh, jfk in vietnam 1992 uh that resulted really in him working as an advisor uh, on oliver stone's film jfk uh, military and intelligence advisor area of specialization uh, concentrating on vietnam Then three years later, he published uh, Oswald and the CIA. Uh, He was one of the experts called to speak before the Assassination Records Review Board to help them understand which areas were of greatest significance in terms of having access to materials to which we had been up until that time denied. So he was one of uh, the experts. He wasn't the only one, but he helped guide The direction, I think, of some of uh, what became important to the AARB to address uh, in terms of particular areas of interest to educated and sober and very serious and very disciplined researchers such as himself. He's a career Army intelligence executive. He was uh, a major in the Army, a specialist in what's referred to as cryptologic analysis. And he was chosen from probably a, a significant pool of military intelligence professionals. He was chosen by General William Odom, three-star general, internationally renowned academic. Uh, general Odom left Army Intelligence, was appointed to be the director of the National Security Agency, and Dr. Newman accompanied him and was his personal assistant for two years, which is a pretty significant deal. Then uh, Oswald and the CIA in 1995, the release of this, you know, significant number of documents which we're still looking through and analyzing and reflecting upon and uh, comparing and contrasting and things. And uh, then an important dissertation in 1999 on Mexico City, a new interpretation which he introduced at the JFK Lancer conference in Dallas. And then he, and then short version is uh, he published a uh, an update for sure with significant new materials. uh, Oswald and the CIA, a two thousand eight edition. At which point he got out of the game. At least that's what we all thought. He was out of the out of the. uh, He left the subject for a couple of years. He. He's an extraordinary scholar, an expert on Far Eastern studies on comparative religions, and in particular on things of of Eastern, you know, Asian things, and um, wrote a book called Quest for the Kingdom, uh, The Secret Teachings of Jesus in the Light of Yogic Mysticism. That's an interesting area. Uh, you know it's not exactly the shallow end of the pool so he's, he's really a world-renowned academic and a very very serious very disciplined very cautious scholar whose work has forced professional historians to reevaluate what they think they know about aspects of America's hidden histories. Uh, he's also the author of the brand new uh, series. The Assassination of President Kennedy, Volume 1, Where Angels Tread Lightly, and that is big news among serious, knowledgeable JFK assassination scholars that Dr. Newman is back in, he's all in. What we have to look forward to is the first among a multi-volume set in which he intends to really, I think, pursue the story uh, to the the extent that he's able and to see it through that's my impression my impression is that he's back in and he's all in and it was a it was a very serious decision that he had to make um, because this is a very difficult subject and it's very difficult it's not easy to do what he's already done and uh, he decided to get back in and he's back in and the new work will be published and available during the first couple of weeks we think of May of this year, twenty fifteen. And it will be called Where Angels Tread Lightly by John M. Newman. So,
0: in your opinion, Alan, what makes Dr. Newman's research and his writings more I hate to use the word credible, have more no, weight more. Okay. Have more weight associated.
1: Uh, it's very simply that he's the right guy for the job. And this is something that I've addressed. I've had a recent publication uh, posting of a two-hour interview with him, part one. Uh, he's agreed to do succession of interviews with me so that we will be able to delve into the deeper aspects of his research on the case. Um,
0: do you want to give your URL out for those?
1: So uh, it's can- just uh, all they have to do is search for... Uh, JFK Lancer Conversations, plural, Conversations with Alan Dale. And there's a dedicated page with all the, uh, these are free, no charge, you know, people can click on something and listen to me (laughs) having conversation, in-depth, one-on-one conversation with extraordinary scholars, journalists, professors, maybe the people that I think are most relevant in terms of guiding us um, along a path of discovery where we can feel that we're on solid ground because these, these people and their actions and their experience in research, um, they have the authority. They're knowledgeable and cautious and disciplined and they're not extremists and they're not absurd, and uh, I've got people like Professor Peter Dale Scott and uh, great unsung hero among serious JFK scholars, uh, Malcolm Blunt. I've got two hours with Malcolm Blunt, and I don't think anybody else has, so I feel very, very privileged to have an opportunity to speak with people like that. I recently did uh, an hour with Russ Baker, He's a wonderful contemporary journalist and uh, writer and New York Times bestseller, bestselling author, and uh, Bill Simpich, we've spent a lot of time on Bill Simpich's book, State Secret, um, Wiretapping in Mexico City, Double Agents, and the Framing of Lee Oswald, which is available free of charge at the Mary Farrell website, with Rex Bradford, who's the electronic archivist for Mary Farrell, and... um, Hosts along with Jeff Morley, JFKfacts.org. We've done, you know, really, I'm. It's almost like a, a kid in a candy shop for me, because I've had this extraordinary, the privilege of being able to speak with people who, whose work is important to me personally, and so the choices that I make about who we speak with—that's um, sort of the extent to which I can make a contribution, because I'm not a real. In investigative journalist, I'm not a real researcher the way the re- these people are, but I have the privilege of speaking with them and allowing them to tell their stories, which I think are uh, relevant in terms of our progress.:
0: What are some of the revelations that you've learned from these incredible guests?
1: Uh, I can summarize it in a very, very few number of words. The CIA has a lot of explaining to do. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's get into that, because John Newman was well situated, uh, given the fact that he was uh, the aide to General Odom, and he was in military intelligence, so you're quite right, he is the guy for the job. He's able to look at the information and filter it properly, whereas a novice like perhaps me, Mm -hmm. someone else, would just look at it and just see a bunch of words and not realize the uh, ramifications (laughs) of those
1: words. Uh, not to oversimplify, really, necessarily, but there are a lot of people. Really, some some extraordinary scholars, uh, and authors, and journalists. Uh, you know, in a broad range of opinion, uh, you get some educated people looking at all of the material. Uh, we're probably mostly referring to the stuff that's you know released the JFK Records Act. Uh, the efforts of people like Jim Lazar from the AARC. Uh, Jim Lazar has been you know a leading. Uh, force in terms of in compelling or impelling or making or encouraging or trying to get the CIA to release, you know, to comply with the JFK Records Act and to release materials. Um, and probably the focus of his work that has gotten the most press in the last 11 years or so has been his efforts along on behalf of Jeff Morley, former Washington Post reporter, to get the CIA to release their uh, operational files on a man named George Chionides, that we've, about whom we've spoken quite a bit, I think, in the past. For those um, that are
0: just joining us that didn't hear that particular episode, can you tell just a brief synopsis? Of who George join is and why uh,
1: he was so a, uh, a career in uh, officer, CIA officer stationed in the early '60s in the JM Wave Station, South Miami, and uh, he was um, a he was assigned to an anti-Castro organization called the. Revolutionary Student Directorate or in American eyes to acronym, English acronym is the DRE with which Lee Harvey Oswald had some kind of shenanigans in New Orleans in the summer of 1963. So the fact that he was a paymaster for the DRE which interacted with Oswald in a way that made news in the the summer of 62. Made news, television coverage, newspaper coverage, radio coverage. Fast forward to 1978, I think, 1978, when the House Select Committee on Assassinations points two young lawyers to uh, be their representatives in investigating uh, the CIA's connections to things that would be relevant to an open and legitimate and honest investigation of President Kennedy's assassination, Dan Hardway and Ed Lopez and these young men are sent to the CIA where initially things are, if not hunky and dory, at least they're not god-awful. They don't get god-awful until a man is brought out of retirement to act as the liaison between these two young representatives of the House-Elect Committee and the CIA. The man they bring out of retirement is a man named George Joannides. Now, one of the questions that Dan Hardway, that Professor Blakey, that Ed Lopez, that the great late Gayton Fonzi, author of The Last Investigation, tells this story, tells his perception of working as an investigator for the House Select Committee. It's an essential and valuable book. uh, The Last Investigation by Gayton Fonzi. F-O-N-Z-I. So the man that the CIA appoints to be the liaison between the this pesky congressional investigation into the broad daylight murder of a popular sitting president is a guy they b- brought out of retirement his name is George Joinides and so these investigators uh, acting on behalf of the committee with congressional authority ask Mr Joinides if he could help them find who was the CIA point of contact uh, in the summer of 1963 into the fall of 63 relevant period which includes Oswald's interaction with the DRE who was the CIA guy handling the DRE at the time and responsible for uh, distribution of funds and you know they would keep track there would be records of how much money the CIA was giving them all of that was authorized stuff it wasn't off the books it was authorized who so how hard can it be find out who was the CIA representative handling the CIA's relationship with the DRE, this anti-Castro group based, um, at least that chapter, that part that was interacting with Oswald in New Orleans in the summer of 63, to which Mr. Gioanidis says, I'll look into that. And, you know, around 2001, 2002, something like that, our friend Jeff Morley, who's a brilliant guy and great writer, uh, and very, very disciplined, very serious um, researcher, serious investigative journalist, he discovers in one of the documents, the news. And it's news that has been absolutely electrifying in the JFK uh, assassination research community because, among other things, it forced Professor G. Robert Blakey uh, to significantly revise his attitude about the work that the House Select Committee conducted uh, in cooperation with the CIA I mean, he's sensitive to the implications that basically the CIA was running a domestic operation to obstruct a congressional investigation into the murder of a popular president. And they did so in the form of obstruction of justice. And the CIA insisting upon some kind of autonomy to protect... Themselves to protect the agency to prevent their records from falling into the hands of the representatives of the citizens of this country. So that's who, why the Jounides thing is important. But with regard to your original question about Dr. Newman, he's a career military intelligence professional with an area of expertise in Asian in the Asian area, and uh, and he's a cryptologic analyst. That that means he's using that position to learn things about the assassination that only someone in that position could do. He's an academic, and so while he's doing these other things that have nothing whatsoever to do with researching JFK in Vietnam or Oswald in the CIA, it's not to suggest that because he's working for General Odom in the NSA from 88 to 1990 or whenever it was, that that's, you know, relevant necessarily to the materials that he's accessed and stuff like that. What happened was he was researching for a PhD um, thesis, and decided to do JFK in Vietnam because he was, you know, an historian. And uh, that led, almost inevitably, to what he has described to me as him throwing, you know, throwing the ball in the air, uh, and then three years later, catching the pass that he himself had, had made, and that's how a bridge was formed between a sort of an inevitable bridge, I guess, between JFK and Vietnam and Oswald and the CIA, because what happened was we had all these new documents. The Oliver Stone film resulted in the release of an enormous amount of material that, like you said, not everybody would understand. So the point at which Jeff Morley contacts John Newman and says, hey, I found this lady. We were talking about this lady, Jane Roman. She's a senior desk officer inside the Special Investigations Group uh, working for James Angleton in 1963. And in October of 63, she's signing off on inaccurate, misleading you know, information in response to routine inquiry. Would you come with me to talk to her? Because John Newman was one of the guys. He is one of the guys who understands how to look at these documents and how to read them like an intelligence professional. So by walking into Jane Roman's house, Jeff Morley was able to introduce one experienced intelligence professional to another. And that's how that extraordinary conversation, extraordinarily significant, underreported, Moment in on November third, nineteen ninety four, uh, at Jane Roman's house, where, because Dr. Newman knew what to ask her, uh, she ends up simply admitting that she's signing off on something she knows is not true in response to routine inquiry from the Mexico City station uh, six weeks prior to the assassination, questioning what do we have on this guy Oswald because there was just some weirdness at the Cuban consulate and the Soviet embassy the week earlier. So in response to that, Jane Roman sends back information that's outdated and misleading. And she knows it, but she's only doing what she's assigned by the executives above her, working in James Angleton's, you know... Little shop. And so what happens thereafter is is a new chapter in terms of where we all are collectively, because it put us on solid ground where we'd never been before. It took us closer to something that's relevant to an ultimate understanding. It's not a solution, but it's a it's a new place for us to pitch it and know that we're okay. We're on solid ground. Because uh, he persists and he says, I'm not saying there has to be a sinister interpretation, but it's one thing if I say to you, you do not have a need to know. It's another thing if I say, you know, here's some information which I know is misleading. So he says to Jane Roman, I was a senior desk officer working for James Angleton, 1963. This is in October of 63, six weeks prior to the assassination.
0: Just tell the folks who James Angleton is real quick.
1: <laughs> head bad think... guy.
0: Head bad I... guy. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> let's, let's move on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll, work, I'll work on trying to summarize who Angleton is. He's head of counterintelligence for the United States for 25 years, and he's uh, an unusual, unusual figure. Um And that's a fact. He's an unusual kind of guy. So you've Um, got
0: this woman working for him.
1: She's working for him, and the guys, the people that work around him in this, you know, counterintelligence, and in particular, I think, in the special investigations group, what's called uh, CI-SIG. And, um she's handling this inquiry about Oswald. So Dr. Newman says, it's one thing if I say to you, you do not have a need to know. It's something else if I say, here's some information which I know is misleading. So what he says, I guess the thing I'm asking is, do you think this indicates an operational interest in Oswald six weeks prior to the assassination? And she responds by saying, yes, to me it indicates a keen interest held very closely on on a need to know basis. A keen interest held very closely on a need to know basis six weeks before the assassination. Something's going on inside the deepest, most compartmentally insulated special area of the CIA. And it's all about Lee Oswald six weeks before the assassination. And so, you know, one is tempted to ask why. That's what I think.
0: Okay, why? Speculation's fine.
1: Really, we get to a new place, like where we were when those guys walked out of Jane Roman's house and they looked at each other and said, what just happened in there? We get to a new place and really all it does, it it opens up new batch of questions, you know. But there's an emerging consensus that there were authorized operations, authorized operations that involved or included uh, Oswald Files. And, you know, I'll leave it up to your viewers or listeners to take it upon themselves to try to begin to deal seriously with the complexities within the CIA in particular. It's not the only place where there's stuff of interest to us. There are some certain other areas pertaining to Oswald's stories. Um,
0: You know, I just, I can imagine the look on Engleton's face where, you know, you've just explained the whole scenario where there's an operational interest in Lee Harvey Oswald. Six weeks Mm -hmm. later, he gets the notice that Lee Harvey Oswald's just been arrested for what? The assassination of the President of the United States.
1: Well, I would not presume, I wouldn't, to think that I could characterize Angleton's truthful uh, or real attitude about much... Uh, especially because he is a legitimate suspect, you know, in terms of being. I mean, you know, we're we're we have a tendency to think in terms of okay, we want it to be a pyramidal kind of of model, and we want to be able to know that there was a mastermind, and so you know, it appeals to just sort of our basic, I think, nature in terms of how we're trained to think linguistically. We like the idea of there being a mastermind. And believe me when I tell you, if you're looking for a mastermind, I'm not going to say look no further, because that would be incorrect, because there are a couple of other characters in this whose stories are also relevant. Uh, William King Harvey and David Sanchez Morales, chief among them. Also uh, EIA, by the way, folks. Yeah, but, but it comes out in a little bit here and there, and you got really smart people dealing with different areas. And then at some point, some of the material that That is unearthed or exposed, you know, you find connections to other work that's been done or is being done in other areas, that there are these points of contact. So, you know, uh, you could spend an awful lot of time just studying the Miami JM wave station, which was the place from which America's undeclared war of destabilization, sabotage, and attempted assassination against Cuba, against Fidel. Uh, was based, uh, you could spend a lot of time just dealing with that. You could spend a lot of time, as Jeff Morley has, uh, on uh, Mexico City, the Mexico City station. Uh, The chief there, Winston Scott, who died under, I think, very mysterious circumstances at a a key moment when he was having a lot of disagreement with James Angleton and uh, Richard Helms at CIA over materials relevant to Oswald being in Mexico. City, but that's a deep thing. You can spend a lot of time on all these guys. There's a great book called uh, Wilderness of Mirrors, and that was my introduction to uh, the world of William King Harvey and James Angleton. I highly recommend Wilderness of Mirrors by David C. Martin. Um, There's also a lot of good work, really, really good work, by a guy named Douglas Valentine, uh, the strength of the wolf, talking about the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, and the CIA and um, complexities involving international drug stuff—stuff uh, stuff that's relevant. If you, if anybody is familiar with great and essential and invaluable work of Professor Peter Dale Scott, um, you know I feel like a lot of the people who are really doing a lot of the significant work right now, significant research. I feel like these are all the godchildren of you know Professor Scott. That Professor Scott is the person who really kind of Opened our eyes about um, how to perceive uh, something terribly wrong and trying to find some model and some terminology which is suitable to deal with a conflict between what we're taught and how we're educated about um, the workings of uh, constitutional authority in the United States of America and on. Un- alternate mechanism of power that is um, in evidence through uh, if not back channel I don't know what you know we could spend a little while trying to define uh, the strange bedfellows of uh, some of the deep political events you know whether it's the CIA and the mafia collaborating to murder a foreign head of state uh, yeah, or, you know, things that are sort of counterintuitive and are not covered in any way, shape, or form by the Constitution. Um,
0: or in the history books. Uh, yeah. Uh, Peter Dale Scott, by the way, folks, is um, Canadian. and uh, Oh. I had to get that in, Alan. Come
1: he on. moved to California. <laughs> you checked your weather up there lately? Okay, anyway. <laughs>
0: Alan and I are best friends. This is the way we banter all the time. I always bug him about Canadian things all the
1: time. Well, I'm your best friend. Oh, ouch. Get off the ground.
0: Okay, get on the ground. Okay. So, anyways, um, he's an amazing, amazing uh, researcher. He's one of the uh, the first researchers going all the way back to the 60s that smelled something wrong, and, and he took off with it, and he's done some incredible work. And uh, when I met him several years ago, he said, well, Brent, he said, just look at the narcotics situation in the world, and you can see how the power brokers just went from Southeast Asia to Mm Central America. Central America, America, yeah. And who makes the most, who exports the most poppy now? Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, wherever America's been sort of invested, uh, it seems that there is a correlation to be made between the new center... A relevant center of um, consequence, put it broadly, uh, pertaining to, you know, new, the emergence of a global uh, something, uh, narconomy is the word that Professor Scott uses, where opiates are a, a, a currency. Right. But, uh, and, you know, the, the whole thing about uh, dark alliance and uh, the CIA and the crack cocaine epidemic and stuff that's been documented to some extent now, but in any event, um, Professor Scott is somebody that I think is, you know, a- of unique stature among the current generation of um, researchers and um, and with good reason. And the only other person of, you know, of that kind of stature who is not published and whose work I think is also supremely influential behind the scenes is a man named malcolm blunt bingo yeah malcolm is pretty strong and thank god he's on he's engaged in these efforts because it's nothing that's profited him financially or otherwise
0: www.nightfrightshow.com there you will find links to JFK Lancer Conversations, in which Alan has interviewed most of the people that we spoke about so far tonight, the researchers, uh, John Newman, for example, Peter Dale Scott, uh, Jeff Morley, uh, Bill Simpich, I'm missing a whole bunch, but you can Malcolm. find Malcolm, Malcolm Blunt, you can find right. all those interviews right there. Yeah,
1: two hours mm-hmm. with Malcolm, mm-hmm. I'm really proud of that, because nobody's got two hours with Malcolm, and that's extraordinary, very fortunate.
0: So I'm bugging uh, Alan as we speak to make a book about these interviews, because I think uh, there's so much valuable material there that it warrants being published without question. We'll see what happens with that in the future. George Joannidis. Now, what's important there, folks, is we were explaining in the beginning, there's a committee set up by Congress called the House Select Committee on Assassinations in 1978 to investigate the Kennedy assassination. So... They go to the CIA and ask for a liaison specifically to find out who the point man was for the CIA that was dealing with Cuban exiles. And the Cuban exiles were doing all kinds of dastardly deeds against Castro. So the CIA hands over this guy by the name of George Joannidis. They say, okay, use this guy. He's one of our CIA assets. This was the guy that was the point man for the anti-Castro Cubans. And he just stayed quiet on it all. And it was only in 2001, I think you said, Alan, that Jeff Morley... Something
1: like that, 2001, 2002. It was a big revelation. No kidding. It was really uh, indicative of, you know, exactly what it is that we've all sort of understood intuitively all along, which is that the CIA is not cooperative, uh, but I don't want to spend too much time on the George Gionides thing. Their, their, the, their best work on that probably so far is uh, Jeff Morley's work. His book, uh, Our Man in Mexico, Winston Scott and the Hidden History of the CIA, is really important. Um, and, uh, there, you know, there's some other stuff, but uh, Dr. Joan, Professor Joan Mellon has had a lot of, you know, she's done an awful lot, and I'd like to quote, cro- to quote her. Uh, she's the author of um, some major uh, works on the CIA and, uh, and Cuba and on uh, Jim Garrison's investigation in New Orleans and... Um,
0: her and, show is in the archives on Night Freight, by the way, folks. She was yeah. there several months ago.
1: Please well, recently she published this and I think it's it's worth taking into consideration. Um, I mean, she's, she's somebody, you know, of stature. She's a University professor. Uh, She's the author of um, A Farewell to Justice, Jim Garrison. And the case that should have changed history. Uh, she's, the book, uh, she's written a book exclusively about uh, this interesting figure, a, an interesting fellow, no doubt, according to Alan Dulles, uh, "Our Man in Haiti," George de Morantshilt and the CIA in the Nightmare Republic, and uh, a book that was recommended to me by Malcolm Blunt called "The Great Game in Cuba: How the CIA Sabotaged Its Own Plot to Unseat Fidel Castro." I would not presume to speak on her behalf in any way, shape, or form. That would be a terrible mistake. Uh, But I can quote her. She says, It is inaccurate and a serious understatement to suggest that Joanides being placed with HSCA was the main way the CIA corrupted the House Select Committee on Assassinations. This view is false and an example of what CIA calls a, a limited hangout. Rather, CIA interference began on the day one of Robert Blakey's tenure as House Select Committee on Assassinations counsel and was a daily intrusion. It culminated in Scott Breckinridge's control of HSCA's final report. Breckinridge worked out of the Office of Legal Counsel of CIA. So I never want to just claim that there's some simple superficial um, you know formula to to address this stuff uh, in the detail that is warranted but I'm also aware that people who are not walking encyclopedias about this stuff, and I'm really not, but I know people who are, you've got to provide a point of entrance for people who are interested. And so to learn that there's newsworthy revelations about what we have learned because of the work of Jeff Morley and Jim Lazar in the AARC, which by the way, is the Assassination Archives and Research Center, which you can check out is an incredibly, incredibly valuable research resource online. It's aarclibrary.org. It's an important place for serious students, and you're interested in materials relevant to the assassinations of the 60s, uh, not just JFK. You can learn, for instance, this George Joannides revelation that came after Joannides was deceased. That's a relevant point right there, because when Professor Blakey learned what Jeff Morley had to say to him, he was so stunned, he was so disgusted that he said that if Blakey knew then what he learned within the last number of years, it would have been a very, very different story, because he would first have... um, required that Joe needy's um, be interviewed by the AARC testify but he might have been charged with a felony he might have been charged with contempt of Congress or you know some kind of something and it, it would have opened up you know new areas of inquiry if we if the Authorities in the form of the House Select Committee on Assassinations had known what we now have well documented. And of course, even this is, it remains an underreported story in terms of contemporary media, just like the revelation about what Jane Roman said, which is the name of an important uh, documentation of that part of the story written by Jeff Morley, and it's an article you can find online, What Jane Roman, R-O-M-A-N, Said by Jefferson Morley.
0: Just speculation, but why did the CIA feel such a need to control the information that they were funneling in to the House uh, Select Committee on Assassinations? Now, it's 1978. As far as I know, the information that the CIA, along with the mafia and some anti-Castro Cubans, were trying to kill Castro was already well known. Any idea why they would want to continue the charade? of?
1: It's a good question, but honestly, I feel like it's almost impossible for me, uh, and I know other people who do a much more effective job, it's almost impossible for me to address, because you always have to back up. And you, if you back up just from 1978, it's not too far of, you know, you don't have to back up too far to get to the era of Watergate and the period where some Cuban burglars, or at least, you know, mostly Cuban burglars, uh, you know, are arrested, acting on behalf, theoretically, of the White House. And uh, that their connections to the CIA, the anti-Castro-Cuban stuff, and you know all about what uh, H.R. Haldeman and John Ehrlichman were discussing in terms of uh, Nixon's cryptic indication that uh, that whole thing was just a comedy of errors and shouldn't shouldn't be looked into too deeply because it could open up the whole Bay of Pigs thing and how Richard Helms responded to that claim and all of that you have to go back to the period of the FBI versus the CIA providing materials for the Warren Commission to judge and how John Witten was taken off of you know his the report that he had prepared on Oswald turned out to be absolutely and utterly useless because uh, it turned out that Angleton had quite a lot of relevant stuff about Oswald that was not that uh, John Witten was not allowed to have access to, and so Richard Helms says, well, we're gonna just have Jim be the uh, contact with the uh, with the Warren Commission, and um, you know, I mean, there's some great books written about all of this stuff, and I, I never want to be the kind of person who simply says, well, it, If you'd only read what I've read, you know, then we we won't have much to discuss.
0: let's jump back to John Newman now. John Newman wrote a book on Vietnam. That was his thesis. He was...
1: JFK and Vietnam, yeah.
0: Precisely. How big a part of the whole narrative of the assassination did Vietnam play?
1: I don't think anybody can say with absolute certainty. I would say that there are reasonable questions that arise once you start to understand that there there was um, there were opposing factions at work within the government of the United States during President Kennedy's administration uh, you're aware that I think five times during 1961 alone uh joint chiefs you know brought plans um, contingency plans maybe I don't know if they were contingency or not but they were certainly plans for a first nuclear strike against the Soviet Union by the end of 1963, because it turns out everything JFK thought he knew about the missile gap between the Soviets and the Americans during the 1960 campaign turned out to be jive. It was false. We had an overwhelming superior. Uh, sometime I should tell you about a private party I played in Washington, D.C. in the late 90s, I think.
0: Uh, Go ahead, do it down if you want. I'm
1: not sure if it was in the late 90s or not, but it was sometime in the 90s. It might have been Around 1997, or something like that. Honestly, I'm not positive. Could have been 95. Whenever it was, it was an interesting scene. It was at the Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum on the mall in DC, and uh, it was a private party, you know, and it was a party hosted by a guy named Ross Perot, and the people that he invited were all of the American and Soviet professionals who were responsible for America's space program and the Soviet Union space program. So I got to shake hands with Alexei Leonov, who was the first man to walk in space, who uh, was shaped like a fire hydrant and had hands made out of iron. And I was talking, you know, name drop <laughs> name dropping wise, I was speaking to Senator John Glenn and it just so happened that uh, that Alexei Leonov was standing next to us and, Doug, and, and Senator Glenn said to me, do you know Alexei? And I said, no, I don't believe I've had the pleasure. So I shook hands with this little bald, you know, guy made out of iron, shaped like a fire hydrant and it's the first man to walk in space and so this was an extraordinary thing all the surviving cosmonauts Yuri Gagarin's widow was there I think, and uh, all of the, you know, all of the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo astronauts and uh, you know, you never know who you're gonna meet if you're standing around talking to john glenn i guess that's the moral to that story um in any event uh where were we do we know (laughs) it is possible to throw me off i guess i threw myself (laughs) off
0: by the way alan dale folks is a professional musician he's a drummer he's a drummer and he was trained by trained taught i don't know what's the word you want to use by the best. Those
1: guys group. were my mentors. They were. I was too young to be a friend of Buddy Rich's, but he was tolerant of me. I knew him well for 10 years. I set up his drums about 50 times, and I traveled all over the country with Louis Belson, who was like my father. Um, his wife, Pearl Bailey, was my Aunt Pearl, who made me the best fried chicken I've ever tasted. It was very funny, and uh, I was, had a very privileged number of years in the company of wonderful people who are great musicians.
0: Let's go back to John Newman, because this is a big revelation that he's back in. He's got a new book coming out, and I don't want you to give away any of the content of the new book. Is it going to stand the research community on its head when it comes out, do you think?
1: I think what stands the research community on its head is that the right guy is um, up to his neck in the deepest end of the sort of research pool. It will establish the necessary, according to Dr. Newman, context for uh, what I think he is characterizing in this way. And this is not a tagline, but it is something from the book, and I'll, I'll confide it. Uh, and the, the book's about to be published. There's one sentence in particular that is really registered with me. There is no darker story in our recent history than how the American struggle with Fidel Castro became entangled with the assassination of President Kennedy. And so, you know, I think that now we're more than 50 years after the fact of Dallas, and, uh, and Dr. Newman has done more than anyone else. I mean, I, my position, very simply, and it's always possible, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I believe that Dr. Newman has done more than any single individual to further... Uh, the implications of some of the work that extraordinary and wonderful and valuable researchers like Gabe Fonzi and, and uh, Dan Hardway and Ed Lopez did for the House Select Committee on, on trying to reveal and trying to explain, trying to understand uh, CIA connections to Oswald prior to the assassination, obviously prior to the assassination. So Dr. Newman's work is important because it literally is uh, peeling away some layers of the most um, covered or maybe covered up aspects of this the thing and a basic model that you and I spoke about a little bit in the company of people that I really love and admire, Larry Hancock and Bill Simpich, um, both of whom I th- think have some level of mastery in terms of understanding. Uh, they, the idea really is that um, there were, there were programs, or, or there was a, a policy at work, an operation or two or more, which was directed towards assassinating President uh, Fidel Castro, and that, you know, what we, what I think, Dr. Newman is really kind of um, indicating what his research has. Uh, has indicated, and what he's developing upon, is that there were, that was a big secret. It was a big secret, lots of secret aspects into every single element of America trying to assassinate Fidel Castro, and that if you wanted to hide stuff relevant to, you know, assassinating the president, that would be a heck of a place to put it, because it's already the most secret thing in the Cold War. It is the inside the box of America's darkest and closely held secret during the Cold War, you know. And so if you want to stick something that's even worse than that, and you need a good place to put it, that's probably a reasonable model. Uh, I can tell you that the back cover of Dr. Newman's uh, book, Where Angels Tread Lightly, and the thing that that's, you know, interesting and significant is that this... This is The Assassination of President Kennedy, Volume 1. The title of Volume 1 is Where Angels Tread Lightly, which will be available in May. Uh, Check Amazon. (laughs) You know. Uh, But he's got uh, a quote from uh, Professor... Uh, Peter Dale Scott on the back cover it says where angels tread lightly builds upon Newman's previous works JFK and Vietnam and Oswald and the CIA Newman puts the past histories cryptonyms and pseudonyms of CIA officers and operatives who became entangled in the plots to overthrow Castro under a powerful microscope this work is essential reading for anyone interested in the dark operations that produced the false story that Castro was behind the Kennedy assassination. That's Peter Dale Scott, author of Deep Politics and the Death of JFK and uh, the, deep, the American Deep State, which is Professor Scott's superb most recent publication. We're going ha- to have learned to
0: start that, to wrap up.
1: Okay. I was just going to say I've learned that Professor Scott is indeed working on yet another work, so that's always good news.
0: You know, those Canadians are busy beavers. Folks, we've been speaking with Alan Dale tonight, and uh, he's been telling us about his work, his interviews with uh, John Newman, Uh, great interviews he's done, JFK Lancer conversations, just Google it, you'll find them all there, Show. you'll find all the links that we've been speaking about tonight right there. Thanks, Alan, for coming on the show. Anytime. Thank
1: you. I don't mean that literally, but, you know, it seemed like the right thing to say at the time. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Keep your pants on. See you all next time. Inside the Oval Office to Davy Plaza, first-person witness accounts, order yours right now, nightfrightshow.com.